How many homeless shelters does the Catholic Church own and operate? Hundreds. How many homeless shelters does the Mormon Church own and operate? Zero. I mean, there's just so many, many, many things that they could be doing. I don't know what the, the answer is to the $100 billion, and that's only one account that we know about. I mean, it's just mind-boggling how they go to these great, great, great lengths to hide it all, and I just wish they would use it to help people. I'm excited to be able to share this episode of The Cultural Hall with you because I feel like this is what The Cultural Hall does well. Can I be so congratulatory, self-congratulatory? One of the things that I feel like we do really well is be able to talk about hard things within the church. And so for those of you that may see the subject of what we're going to be talking about, you may think, well, how could they possibly talk about this and still be positive towards the church? And I just promise you that we do that it is, and that you'll enjoy it. Plus, you'll learn some things along the way. I love this conversation, so let's get to it. It's this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, Excited to be able to have this episode. If you remember in a recent Articles of News that we did, uh, we talked about uh, an article out of the Washington Post, which headline reads, The wealthy LDS church offered a man $40 for food, he says, so he wrote a Mormon musical. And here the author of said Mormon musical joins us in The Cultural Hall. Welcome, Dave. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. Now, I wonder, uh, because you're your musician's name or you're under the artist name of Jack Betty, do you prefer Dave Nolan or Jack Betty as we speak today? When we're talking, you can just call me Dave. Um, when people are searching online, though, they'll find a lot more songs and content and videos if they search Jack Betty instead of Dave. Uh, and anything that we talk about within this episode, you'll be able to find it in the show notes at theculturalhall.com. Uh, I think we need to know the story about how you needed some assistance and what you got was essentially $40 for food. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll give you the quick version. So I don't remember the exact dates, but roughly three years ago, um, a perfect storm collided with our family and we had a business that was in the final stages of unfortunate failure. I had a uh, full-time job instability and then the uh, exterior of our home was rotting so bad that it was getting through the studs and causing a severe safety issue. And so that wiped out all our savings to um, replace that exterior wall and I, being the good, active, faithful member that I was, I and still am, I'm still active, I'll say that, um, I thought that maybe they could help just a little bit. I, I wasn't asking for a lot. Um, I certainly wasn't asking for a full mortgage payment. I just needed a little bit of help towards a portion of the payment. And for whatever reason, I, I maybe I didn't ask the right way or I don't know, but it just didn't go anywhere, and um, it ended up being a small food order instead. Which, for someone who has been a member of the church, I would assume, based on how you speak, at least a good portion of your life, if not your whole life. 
Right. Uh, that, that, you know, hey, th- this is something, it's not like Social Security, right? We don't pay into right, it with right. the expectation that, hey, one day I'm going to draw this out. But it certainly is the thought of like, hey, I got you. If if ever if ever you you find yourself in a dire strait, you, you know that, you know, because you've been there with us, we'll be there for you, but but that wasn't the case. Right. Exactly. Um let me clarify quickly though. People are like, "Oh, you can't be all mad about it." And I had a positive experience with it maybe, I don't know six years prior, one other time we did need assistance. So I got to put that out there. One other time in my entire life, we got a little bit of help. The Bishop was awesome. He understood what was going on. He was full of compassion. So I don't know if they track it and you can't do it more than once or whatever, but just putting that out there. So there was one bishop who was amazingly awesome about it. Well, well let's, but, if, if you're willing, let's talk a little bit about that as much as you're willing to share. Uh, dialing back then six years before, it's, I'm, I'm assuming, not the exterior of your home in a similar situation. What were the, the conditions maybe under which you got assistance at that point? I don't know what was different. I, I think every bishop is probably different. Um, I'm not advocate. I'm not saying that bishops need to do everything to help everybody in every is- instance. I mm-hmm. think there are some issues where they can use their judgment and should use their judgment. Uh, several years prior, it was just bad uh, luck with jobs and lost the job trying to find the job and all that. And mm-hmm. the bishop was awesome. But I want to emphasize: um, I don't hold any bad feelings against that particular bishop, um, the more recent one, because it's just, that's just how it is. It's a culture of save every penny, the money's too sacred, whatever you want to call it, and it comes from the top down, and it's just the culture, so... Does that make sense, Richie? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm just sort of thinking things through, so... But as I hear it, and and I think as anyone listening to this, is it does seem, as we call it within the culture, this idea of bishop roulette. Uh, uh, For instance, uh, anyone who's listened to the cultural hall for any length of time knows that at one point in my life I was excommunicated from the church. I've since, you know, found myself back in the church and, you know, blessings and priesthood restored and all of those things. But the conditions under which I was excommunicated— were far different uh, than uh, conditions of which other people have uh, been excommunicated or many other who found themselves in the same situation that I found myself in weren't excommunicated or even faced any sort of church discipline at all. And so it quickly becomes a frustrating thing where it's like you sort of want to weigh out who it is that you're going to be talking to and figure out if that's going to be the best place for you to be able to have that conversation, whether it's about, you know, something that you would need to have a church council for or that you would need to receive assistance for or et cetera, and on and on and on and on. Right. I mean, I mean, that is what you're saying, right? Because you, you lucked out. You got red you got red 18 or whatever with the first bishop the six years prior, but you, you bet on red and got black the second time. Right. Yep. You got it. Exactly. That's frustrating. Yeah, I wish I wish they would standardize it and say, you know, we'll, nope, we'll help you one time in your life, Dave, and that's it, or, or whatever. 
and then I wouldn't have had any sort of hope or expectations or whatever. So, so you've made a great effort, and I appreciate it because this isn't a you know the cultural hall is not a space where people come in and we're like, oh, the church is so terrible or whatever. Right. You know, you know, we don't want to do that. I know that you don't want to to do that. Um, based on our conversations prior, uh, what you're reflecting here, but 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 it is a frustrating thing. It is a thing that makes you go, well, well, what why what am I doing all this for if you know, to help the needy is is the claim and the cause, and I was the needy, and I wasn't helped so much. Right, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So that was before—you'll probably go over the timeline, but, but that was a, a few months before the big news article came out about the dragon's hoard of, of gold. Mm-hmm. So uh, up until that point, I, I knew that the church had money and that they helped people and whatever, but me and, and the entire world— had no no clue just how much was literally sitting there in liquid assets until the hundred billion article came out. So that's when the the frustration and the sadness really kicked in. Yeah, because like if it would have been one billion, maybe you go, okay, well, I mean, big church, lots of buildings, one billion, okay, right. five billion, ah, maybe ten, all right. But when you see, and I think that that's a particular frustration for a lot of people as well. Like at some point it, it feels like too much. And I don't think that anyone has really been able to speak into effect what that number is, but we certainly feel like a hundred billion feels excessive. Just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So so you see that number and then you're like, well, for crying out loud or what, how, give me that uh, initial reaction to all that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been, I've always been business minded. I have a master's in business actually. And, and, uh, the wall street journal article came out. I've been accused. Oh, you're seeking for bad information, blah, blah. No, that's not true. Mm -hmm. The wall street journal came out. And as far as I know, the church has not attempted to discredit that figure at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was kind of heartbreaking to go through that experience. And then just a few, just a little bit later, that article, you know, comes out, you're just like, oh, wow. And then for me, I've always throughout my entire life used music as a therapy. Like we're talking since a very young age, I've done piano and guitar and vocals. Um, So since like the fourth grade, I was playing my own compositions publicly. And then I just, after feeling what felt like a punch to the face, I had to just turn to music to get it out there and and work through my own uh, challenge with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the original intent was just to sort of suss out these feelings, not necessarily to put together a musical. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. So a few good songs came out of that and I'm like, okay, well, now what do I do? <laughs> and then additional songs kept coming and coming, and pretty soon there was enough material to kind of link it all together. And I had to, the deeply personal and uh, the, the songs that are really going to make people think, those type of contemplative uh, and even some tragic songs in some cases, um, those ones came out first because that was kind of the healing journey. And then the fun, lighthearted ones came along a little bit later. The the really the ones that are full of satire, um, just because 
I certainly didn't want it to all be doom and gloom. It, it has to be, it still has to be really fun and cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I want to uh, give people an idea of what these sound like. So let's play Look Down on Me. We'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about that particular song and and then maybe a little bit more about what this musical is going to look like and how people would be able to see it and, and some of the attention that you've got since that Washington Post article came out. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Oh, hey there. I wanted to remind you, you remember when we had uh, Portia Louder on episode 564 of the Cultural Hall? And she mentioned that she had that book. It's called Living Louder. It's available on Amazon. And she loved the Cultural Hall so much that she wanted to uh, let you know that if you email her, Portia, that's P-O-R-T-I-A dot louder, just like it sounds louder, L-O-U-D-E-R at gmail.com, she'll give you the audible version for free to anyone that emails her. So if you want to check that book out, you like that episode, and you like free stuff, why wouldn't you do that? It's Portia.Louder at gmail.com. She also would love it if you would purchase the book. It's available on Amazon, very affordable. Uh, you can get the paperback copy uh, so to be so you can have that in your collection. You can uh, reference it. You can be able to uh, pull it from the shelves and read yourself a story at night. Uh, it's called Living Louder. Find it on Amazon. You can find a link for it in the show notes. You can email Portia, portia.louder at gmail.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. I see the pain on their faces as you preach to people about higher places. But the streets are paved with gold. You got more gold than you can count, but it ain't enough. It's never enough. Even the money you hoard says in God we trust. In God we trust, so you say... Up until the moment that you're asked to give some of that money away. Congratulations, your wealth exceeds the GDP of more than half the nations. Those nations sure could use some help from up above. But what do I know? I don't represent God. You painted yourself into a corner, talking about love one another. We know what you love, and it ain't us. Are you starting to see what maybe there's a little distrust? I speak for the people. The single mom working three jobs trying to put food on the table. The couple, the couple that just lost their house to the bank. That's just our country. You ever heard of places like Mozambique? I didn't think so. A trillion dollar hoard ain't enough for you? How about two or three trillion? What I finally do? What's it gonna take? What's it gonna take to give a meaningful portion of your wealth to lift up the poor? That rainy day that you've been waiting for? I got news for you. It's pouring the death outside. Outside, right now, this very second. It's pouring the death outside. Don't give me that saving it for a rainy day excuse. Everybody knows the truth. When you arrive where the streets are paved with gold, look down on me while you tightly hold onto your halo, you perfect angel. You serve the Lord, but you forgot one thing. You, you forgot 
Right, so that is Look Down on Me from the musical The Good Shepherds, joined by Dave Nolan, the uh, what lyricist and songwriter? Uh, are you the script for this whole thing as well, or is it completely uh, all music? So, good question. Musicals are all set up differently. So, um, this musical certainly has speaking parts. It, it's a mix, it, it's roughly an equal mix of speaking parts and uh, lyrics and songs. So this particular song, I've, I've written hundreds of songs. So, but this particular song and the other hip hop songs, I definitely had a collaborator, um, a hip hop artist out of Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, I just, I just needed someone who's that next level hip hop type of artist. And I, I hope your audience enjoyed it, but you can hear it you can just hear the passion. You can feel the passion. Um, but my specialty is writing the, the pop and the rock. That's the kind of music that I've always written. So, so going into that a little bit more as far as, you know, the, the lyrics and, and what you feel like that really means. I know that that seems like, <laughs> like what every artist does is it's like, well, within the lyrics, what I feel like I'm trying to get apart. But if people maybe are like, well, what did he mean exactly by that? Do you think that there's any, there's any sort of like hidden things within what you write there, or is it pretty on the nose? Um, I think, I think the look down on me song is is pretty unmistakable. the The story behind it, um, that's the character who, throughout the entire, that song is towards the end uh, when we're talking the timeline of the musical, and the entire time he's been trying to convince the main character who is the CEO guy. And by the way, none of the characters are actual top leaders of the church. I, I wanted to put that out there. Mm-hmm. It does not make fun of church leaders, past, present, any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not make fun of doctrines or things that the church holds sacred. So quite honestly, Richie, even though it, it can be a topic that can be difficult to digest for some active members. Uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't go see it because it, it you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. just doesn't rail on everything that they hold and hold dear to their heart. Yeah. It's thought provoking, but it's not mocking was the right. overwhelming thing of what I, what I got from it. And it's also worth noting that the story is, as I understand it, and maybe you could speak to it more or, or correct me as I try and reprise what I've been able to gather about it. It's a, a story of four individuals who essentially are 
employed or gain employment um, working for the church and sort of their experience through through what that's like? Right, yep. Four new hires, um, it just kind of follows them on their first day, and they are quite surprised that the the uh, fellow employees of the church are are this uh, money uh, money driven, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And that follows the old joke of like, if you want to lose your testimony, work for the church. I've heard several <laughs> people, you know, sort right. of <laughs> repeat that because I mean, the the church and its business operating functions is is operating as a business. And I think that some people who kind of engage that and go, oh, this should feel like I'm going to church or like I'm a general conference or or in those sort of scenarios, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. It is run in many instances like a business. And some people find that sort of be cold or or absence of any sort of faith or, or love. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so, I'm sure that you've had people that have pushed back on this and and just been like, oh, you're, you know, you're jaded. You just, you know, you wanted money and oh, poor Dave got his feelings hurt. And now you're you're being a rabble rouser and, you know, causing all this negative attention on the church. What to, to those people like, why? Why are you doing this? So. I think, well. I do believe that we are well I'm not arguing that the church does a lot of good. No nobody's arguing that the church does a lot of good. I'm just saying you don't become the world's richest church by being generous. It it's just mathematically not possible. Mm-hmm. Um and then as far as the responses, I have had way 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 more positive responses versus negative. Yes, there will always be mm-hmm quote unquote Molly Mormons who, you know, you can't <laughs> you can't do anything without upsetting those people. Right. But um the response has been overwhelming. And even from I've had total strangers reach out to me saying, Dave, this is so cool. This is long overdue. How can I help? I've had people saying, I'm flying in from Texas just to see this. I'm flying in from Washington DC to see this. I mean it it's quite it, it it obviously resonates with a lot of people because I think we have to hold churches to a higher standard um, when they have this kind of money. What what has been um, your thought process as far as like the leadership being okay with this? I know within the Washington Post article, um, they referenced that they reached out to church communications or church PR, and they said no comment, which is not surprising. The church typically yeah. doesn't comment on that kind of stuff. But but yeah. you personally, I mean, you worship, uh, I would imagine, week in and week out, and, and people in leadership that are over you certainly would know about it because of you or people within the congregation or the stake talking about it. Is there any sort of worry that there would be, you know, repercussions that way? So I set it up purposely in a, in a manner that um, would be difficult for them to really do anything about it. Because remember, it doesn't, it doesn't poke fun Mm-hmm. at any of the leaders, past or present, and it doesn't uh, ridicule the doctrine and the holy and the sacred stuff. So mm-hmm. what are they going to do? I mean, they, they can be upset about it, whatever, but at the end of the day, it's just generating 
social awareness, generating a conversation. Um, is $100 billion necessary? That type of stuff. Uh, is, is the uh, particular bishop, and we obviously won't name him, but is he still your bishop at this point? No, no, we moved. Okay. Um, yeah, because like I can... I said, <laughs> like I said, I got to make it clear. I, I I have no hard feelings against him. It, it's the culture that has been disseminated down to him from the top down that we we hoard every penny and the money's too sacred. I mean, it, it comes from the top and it goes down to the bishop level. Yeah, but I can just imagine the awkward scenario, though. <laughs> if it was the same, yeah. If it yeah. is the same bishop and you're like, hey, how's it going? He's like, I've been reading the Washington Post, David. Uh, wondered if maybe we could have a conversation. What What about family? How does family feel about this? I know uh, you have um, several kids in multiples and then also your spouse. How do they feel about not only the attention, but the effort that you've put in this area? So I will say from my experience, family included, it is, it's still overwhelmingly positive versus negative um, in terms of, of people just, you know, expressing their feelings towards it. And Richie, the bottom line is we can't, we just can't pretend that it's ethically or morally okay for a Christian church to hoard hundreds of billions of dollars while millions of children are starving to death at the same time. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is the real message of the musical. Look Down on Me talks about that. There's other songs that talk about that, but I feel like I'm writing it for those people who have no voice um, in an effort to have them heard, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... That, that's kind of what keeps driving me when I do get the pushback, when I do get the negative people, I just envision, you know, all these suffering people that the church could so easily be helping. I want to uh, play another song. Uh, you sent me Let's Buy Florida, and this is definitely, <laughs> this is one of those uh, more maybe funny uh, satirical kind of songs. Uh, I want to give people an opportunity to hear this. Uh, so let's take a break. When we come back in the third block, uh, we'll chat a little bit about that song. Plus, there's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll do that when we come back. Hey, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. And as you know, there's been this humongous video card shortage. In fact, there's been a huge electronic component shortage but no need to worry, at PC Laptops, we just got in shiploads of NVIDIA and AMD video cards. We have them in stock right now, and they're available with all new PC Laptops desktop computer systems. All of our desktops are backed with a lifetime parts and labor warranty. That means if your video card blows up in 10 years, you're covered 100%. Now you can get our cutting edge PCs for as low as $29 a month. And we also have 12 months special financing. Hurry into PC laptops right now and grab a desktop computer with an NVIDIA or AMD video card. Because at PC laptops, we really love you. PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com.
So uh, here in the third block, uh, talking about let's buy Florida. I, I think it's interesting to note because I, I think that there are some people that are listening to this that have no idea about the church's landownings and Florida. So maybe we start there. Right. Well, I guess when you got more money than, than you can count, you got to put it somewhere. So um, in addition to the $100 billion liquid assets, yes, the church— has insanely large land holdings. Um, and you're right, Richie, no, they don't talk about any of this stuff. They don't, they don't want people to, to know, I guess they don't want people to know. I mean, how can you force people to clean the church and scrub the toilets without questioning if they know that they're, it's the richest church on earth. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, let's buy Florida just, I guess, makes fun of the, the fact that they own they they are literally the largest landowner in Florida. Right, and I think that the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints I think we own something like 8% or 9% of Florida. It's nuts. Yeah, what whatever the percentage is it, it's just nuts. So, yeah, that that song is a fan favorite and it it's fun and it's uh I mean some the cool thing Richie about musical theater is it allows the audience to digest a difficult topic, even tragic topics. 
Mm-hmm. It allows, I mean, it, it's a conversation starter. So that's what it's meant to be. It's conversations. We can have fun with it with songs like Let's Buy Florida, and we can be tragic and, and help really drive it home with, with some of the other deeper type of songs. It, you know, it's a thing for me, and I love that you point that out. It, it, it allows us to take those things that might be harder to digest and be able to digest them. Um, you've talked about how this is unsimilar to uh, the Book of Mormon musical written by the guys from South Park, but one of my favorite um, songs in, in all of musical theater is that opening number from, I guess it's not the opening number, but the I Believe number from Book of Mormon the musical, where, you know, he, he this young missionary, just a very devout you know, in, in individual, and he's talking about how, you know, he believes that God has a plan for all of us, and you know that that he has a place in the plan. And then, you know, the third line of this particular song is, you know, I believe that in 1978 God changed His mind about black people. And you know, no matter what, it always gets a laugh whenever I've right. been able to see that performance. But it is this very difficult, this very hard, but very right on, you know, the nose saying, yeah, you believe that God loves you. Sure. You believe that he has a plan for you. Okay. And you believe that, you know, for a long time that God felt this one way about black people. And then it got changed in the year 1978. And, and that's hard, but the song allows you to go, oh, wait, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, yep. I'm I'm in on this, and this is what I believe, and and we laugh sometimes because we think that's funny. We laugh sometimes because we think that's ridiculous, and sometimes we laugh because we go, oh, I'm uncomfortable, and I probably need to spend some time and think about this, and and that's kind of what I get from that. Let's buy Florida. It's like yes, you know that it doesn't make the church untrue. Uh, it doesn't make the doctrines that you know for salvation uh, any less true because we own a lot of Florida, but also we own a major portion of the state of Florida. What? Right. Exactly. Yep, I agree with you a hundred percent. So, so I want to talk now about the actual production. You've said that people are coming from Texas and Washington D.C. and and when is this going to you know make its stage debut? So, yeah, let's talk about some of the demographic breakdown, first of all. I I apologize to anyone living in Utah County. I misjudged you, okay? <laughs> there's this <laughs> – it, it's funny, but it's true. Like, there's this perception, oh, Utah County, you know, they're too – no one's going to come to it. And honestly, it is the number one county – like we've sold we've sold tons and tons of tickets after the after the Washington Post article came out. Utah County is the number one destination that people are coming that the ticket buyers live. It, it's it's quite interesting. Hmm. Um, so let me throw it back at you, Richie. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, it to me it illustrates active members are are really dying for a conversation around this. They would love some transparency. I mean, the church requires it from us on an annual basis, mm. and then they just don't even give us a shred of transparency. And I I would just ask church headquarters to, to please tell the world one single bad thing that would happen if you were fully transparent with your finances. 
obviously the answer is nothing. There's nothing bad that would happen. Well, so, I think I, I think the thing that I've heard certainly reflected is that then it just becomes a, a bigger target on the church's back, meaning, uh, you know, say we find out that the church is worth a trillion dollars, those that would seek— and and it's not that it doesn't exist already, but you put a number and a face to that uh, in com- in totality, then then people would come and say, "Oh well, I want my tithing back. I was hurt by this. I it it, it sort of allows right. them to be that much more um, susceptible to you know those that would seek to gain." from suing the church for whatever reason. Not that those things don't exist now. I mean, every month or every couple months we have someone who's upset. They've tried to get their tithing back, and they certainly won't ever get that back. Or they have some sort of grudge against the church, and they're suing for some some level of money. And, and those things very rarely uh, swing in the way of those that would sue's favor. But there are occasional settlements as far as that goes. But I think if there was, to speak to your question, if there was any negative thing, I think that that is at least the the thought that some hold is that then that puts or a label to the target that would be on the church's back. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but if you're worried about that, then just freaking spend the money to help people. Mm. And, and, you know, if you're transparent and you're spending the money to help people, I think I think it would just do leaps and bounds for their image and um, just stupid stuff like forcing members to clean the church. Like when you're the richest church on earth, I mean, it, it just looks so bad that you're you're requiring members to clean the toilets. You know what I mean? Yeah, and people would push back on that and say sacrifice, right? It's well, a, it's an opportunity for people yeah. to be able to learn. And, and I've had good experiences being able to get to know other people, but you're saying maybe that's not the point or maybe th- those experiences could happen another way. You've also said multiple times, and, and I guess I don't know it to be true or untrue, but the Catholic Church isn't richer than the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? So from my understanding is if you add up all of their different stuff together, they probably are, but I, I believe they've under, they've, whatever the word is for it, like Catholic Church of Europe, Catholic Church of South America, okay. Catholic Church of, like they have these different geographical regions, um, but I'm sure they are if you add them all together. However, if you Google world's richest churches, um, I mean, we are absolutely on the top. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, another question that I would ask, because, you know, those people that are listening to this and just finding themselves frustrated, or, you know, maybe they aren't on the same side as you are, they would ask, well, then how much is okay for them to have, Dave? A hundred billion <laughs> is not okay. How much can they have? And you'd be like, that's fine. You can have that much in reserve. Do you have any sort of thought about that? I mean, I, I don't. All I know is, I keep thinking about these poor souls in these third world countries, even people in our country, like the homeless. I mean, how many homeless shelters does the Catholic Church own and operate? Hundreds. How many homeless shelters does the Mormon Church own and operate? Zero. Right. I mean, there's just so many, many, many things that they could be doing. I don't know what the, the answer is to the $100 billion, and that's only one account that we know about. Right. I mean, it it could be. It, it it it's just mind-boggling how they go to these great, great, great lengths to hide it all. I, and I just wish they would use it to help people. 
Yeah. There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I will ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling currently? And if so, what is it? Primary boys, activity days, hanging out with the 10-year-olds. So I love it. There you go. There you go. That seems about my speed. If you could pick a (laughs) calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? So can I... Can I change it a little bit and and say which calling should have never existed oh, that I had? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't know. I don't think it was an official quote unquote church calling. It, it was probably an assignment. But one of my first, it, it was a ward full of nothing but apartment buildings, and I was called as the moving coordinator. Oh. So every single Saturday morning. We would move in or out three or four different families. Um, yeah, that makes that my ba- worst. that makes my back hurt just <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, the final question that we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you may, uh, but the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith? The favorite part about my faith. That is a good question. So. I apologize. It might be a little long-winded. You're fine. Let me start by saying nothing amazing has progressed in life without people challenging the status quo. Um, And that's what we're doing here. So I believe, and I know, and based on the just sheer massive volume of people, total strangers reaching out to me. I know that transparency would move the church forward. There's no doubt about it. So, um, I think, I think people are too afraid to speak out, honestly, and and I don't blame them. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is the type of stuff that's going to move the church forward. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a high-level church leader. I just see, I can do math, and I see the suffering. Um, so I know that's a little bit different answer than what you're looking for. I love how the church is at least open to continuing revelation, right? That's what we believe in. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what it's going to ultimately take for changes like this, I don't know exactly what happened in 1978 that changed it for our fellow black brothers and sisters. Um, but we do believe in continuing revelation and in, in changing and in, um, you know, ultimately becoming the church that Christ wants it to become. And at the end of the day, I just can't envision Jesus Christ coming down and high-fiving all the leaders saying, hey, that's the biggest stock portfolio on planet Earth. Congratulations, you're, you're, you're the richest church, whatever. He, <laughs> he wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. The Jesus I know would scratch his head and say, you have this unfathomable fortune. Why didn't you help all these people? So um, continuing revelation is, is what I love, and, and it's what I think is going to propel the church forward. If people want to stay up to date with the latest and greatest of what's going on with the Good Shepherds uh, website, where where should we point people? Thank you. Yes. Um, Thegoodshepherds.net, all spelled out. Uh, or just search Jack Betty, the artist, my artist name, 
you'll find a lot more stuff if you search Jack Betty instead of David Nolan. And I will say, I, I probably wouldn't wait to the last second if you want to get tickets. Um, ever since these major news articles have come out, like it's been pretty amazing. So don't wait to the last second. Well, and I know uh, based on some other reading that there was original dates that it was going to show and now it's different. When When is that? If people are like, I don't want to wait till the last second, but I don't even know what second we're in right now. When When does the show premiere? Yes, you are correct. It, it did have to get bumped, unfortunately, by just a few months. So it will premiere August 18th. Now you're testing my memory, Richie. <laughs> um, yes. Pulling up the ticket page right now. August 18th is when it premieres. And it's going to be uh, premiering in Ogden, Utah. Is that correct? Yes. At the at the Egyptian Theater, uh, downtown Ogden. It's a very cool theater if you've never been there. Yeah, absolutely awesome. Thegoodshepherds.net. Uh, Dave Nolan, Jack Betty, thanks for being here in the Cultural Hall. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. 